<sighs> Welcome to Private Practice Podcast. I'm James Hall in paradise. Hello there. I'm Daniel P. Brown and I'm in London. And so I suppose a quick update since the last episode, I made the decision to abandon Dan, which is why I'm in paradise. And it's also why you might hear a uh, uh, an occasional undertone of um, disappointment, sadness and anger from me. Meanwhile, you'll get nothing but joy from me because I have in front of me a box from my favourite patisserie in the world, Maison Loaf, and inside it is a chocolate and ginger tart. Sitting on a large piece of Beaufort cheese, which I'm going to put into my Pano Cereal for lunch after we've recorded... What's a pano cereal? It's a baguette that's got some seeds and grains and things on top. Oh, lovely. A pano cereal. Yes, yes. So, yeah, you, you, you've you abandoned me. You've decided to uh, leave the UK again, James. And for the benefit of the listener, what's even better about this is that I'm going to be working with Dan's brother. And to give more context, I'm going to be working with Dan's better brother. So, <laughs> is that true? Is that actually true, though? Well, don't be surprised, listener, if in uh, 2020, for a new decade, uh, you tune into Private Practice Podcast and you hear, Hi, I'm Ben Brown, and I'm in the Private Practice mm. Studios in uh, Burgos, Spain, and I'm James Hall in the Private Practice Studios in Burgos, Spain, and we're your new hosts for the new improved Private Practice Podcast. Basically, 50% of it is as good as ever, but 50% is much better because it's just with the better brother. Or we might still be Dan and James, but the whole of the next season will be me having taken notes on how Ben is better than Dan, just presenting those notes to Dan for an entire season to see if he can be as good as his brother. Oh, do you know what? That sounds like a life-changing, rewarding um, personal growth experience that I can't wait to to go through with you. Thank you, James. I can't wait for that. That sounds like a really good idea. Meanwhile, back in the present. Back in the present. Because all we've talked about so far is the past, when I left you, (sighs) and the future, when I'll be spending more time with your brother than with you. But right now, I'm with you. So, no Ben, don't need to think about him. It's just the two of us. Yes. And our recording devices. So, welcome to the listener to this uh, season, whatever season... What season are we on, James? Five. Season five of Private Practice Podcast, um, the flow season, where we are starting to look at the book by Michali Csikszentmihalyi, which is um, about uh, optimum experience, success, happiness, joy, fulfilment. Does that basically summarise it? Like I said... When we first started this, on the front cover, it says the classic work on how to achieve happiness. And the more I read this book, the more I think that it's got nothing to do with how to achieve happiness. If anything, it's a book on, <laughs> a book on how, how to avoid the highs of happiness that are followed by inevitable crushing lows and to focus your life on just 
ticking over nicely. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's okay. become how to achieve happiness at all. I mean, it's not like it's the most original book ever written. It's more a very neat distillation of... Um, I, because, I mean, people have been trying to work out how to improve their lives since they didn't have to just run away from lions on the plains. So, therefore, it draws from ideas that have already been written in Buddhist teachings and Stoic teachings and all that yep, kind yep, of stuff. Yep. Um, and so they mostly conclude that... Uh, more a more satisfying life comes not from pursuing ideas of uh, symbolic goals that lead to expectations of giddy happiness so for example a luxury villa on the Amalfi coast of Italy with a yacht and champagne and caviar and millions in the bank and Elton John arranging your birthday party you know all of that stuff Lana Del Rey on the guest list. Let's. This will be totally irrelevant when this goes out, but this week Lana Del Rey is trending. And I um, do want to repeat a joke I made yesterday because I don't think Dan fully appreciated it. Um, so on her new album that was released this week, she has a song on that album called Hope is a Dangerous Thing for a Woman Like Me to Have. I am currently in the south of France, known for its <laughs> very <laughs> high-quality soap produced in Marseille. I sent Dan a picture of some soap, and I said, there's a shop in Montpellier that sells this stuff. I'm thinking, I, I almost bought some today, but um, soap is a dangerous thing for a woman like me to have, which... <laughs> tickled me no end and I don't know how much Dan laughed. Dan, how much did he laugh at that joke? About this much. <laughs> so you, you, because you're still laughing at your own joke, you didn't hear how much I laughed. Uh, so I James, was, ja I was, James, I was in I want, full flow and then I lost it. Something about Lana I, Del Rey. Um, before that, I said something, something, something. Uh, James, 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 James. I want to stop you. Good. Right now, listen. Just, just listen to me for a moment. Now, for the listener, I'll have to explain something. We are recording via the medium of Skype with our own recording devices. Now, what I can see in front of me is James behind a stack of things, um, including a sort of a Bluetooth speaker, a very large jam jar full of jam and his recording device, meaning James and I can barely make any kind of eye contact and have no recognition of each other's faces or any response. I can't see James. So oh, I the see. Point, That's slightly I different mean, this for me. Is... I can see you. I can see your facial expressions. I can see everything. Yes, if I tilt the camera, maybe will that help I things? Don't purposefully put all the shit in front of me so that I can't be seen and I look like a kind of a jam electro robot. Also, he's basically naked and I don't really understand what's going <laughs> well, on. It's a very, it's... very weird setup. <laughs> it's summer in the south of France and it's very hot in this room. <laughs> I'm very sweaty at the moment and that is even without much clothing. Excellent. Okay, well, now I can mostly see James's face and I can see his eyes, so I can see the expression he's pulling when he's saying things. So that's a bit better. So on to today's episode, James. 
I do remember what my flow was. I was saying that you can have all these symbolic goals and I started to list the villa and the party and the money and the yachts and everything and that's when I yes. went off on a tangent and shoehorned in my Lana Del Rey joke just because I wanted to shoehorn it in. But um, that is kind of what this chapter that we're about to look at is suggesting is something to be avoided. The pursuit of symbolic goals. And... So I kind of include happiness as a symbolic goal because it's a, it's some uh, intangible, mysterious thing that's supposedly going to be wonderful, just like power, influence, money. Whereas the chapter that we're looking at today is called Enjoyment and the Quality of Life. I don't consider that to be happiness because I don't consider that to be a high after which will come a crashing low. It's just a general ticking along of enjoyment and quality of life. Do you think there's maybe some suggestion then that happiness is a kind of a process? It's not just an emotion that one is feeling. It's, it's, about, it's about, you know, truly living. It's about um, experiencing life. It's about being able to appreciate the qualities of the ups and the downs and the... Uh, moods and emotions and thoughts and feelings and experiences and they're using the word happiness and perhaps they should choose a different word well I still think that the word happiness is on the front cover to flog more books because it says the classic work on how to achieve happiness which just from publishing marketing terms is ka-ching everyone wants to be happy buy this book and you'll be happy that'll be 14.99 thank you very much that unit of consumerism has left the shop Yes, okay. So let's not focus on the word happiness then. So what is this chapter about, James? I, I kind of read it, chapter chapter three, enjoyment and the quality of life. Pleasure and enjoyment, that's what it was, pleasure versus enjoyment. And I thought it was quite an interesting one because I, I think it, it challenged me. So I, whilst I read it, I was, um, whilst I reread it, sorry, I was on holiday in Spain um, and for two, almost two whole weeks, I didn't turn the television on once. I didn't watch any videos or clips on YouTube. We didn't have any Wi-Fi. So I had a little bit of data, which I saved for my WhatsApp conversations and phone calls. But um, I, 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 I was removed from my usual routine. And I was thinking about, whilst I was reading this chapter and also enjoying other books, what do I usually do with my time uh, when I'm in London? And I arrived back in London, came in, unpacked my case, put a load of washing on. And the first thing I did after that was to turn on the screen. I turned on the idiot box. Um, um, and for the purposes of today's episode and most episodes, um, I'm just going to use the word Netflix to explain that idle, passive watching of a screen, OK? I'll just say Netflix. It may well be that I was scrolling through Facebook at the time. Or, so Netflix and social media. I realised that I came back, landed, was in, it was in a really good place. I'd been swimming every day, I'd been reading every day, I'd been cooking every day rather than getting something that could be, you know, taken out of the freezer and put in the oven. And, and I came back, having read this chapter about pleasure and enjoyment, and... And I realised that there's this thing that I think a lot of us do, and I think a lot of people will link with, where we we put something on, we 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 do something that's meant to give us some kind of pleasure, but actually there's not there's not really any true enjoyment to it. In fact, James, backtracking, do you wanna 
give us a kind of an example or a description of the the difference between pleasure and enjoyment as defined by Chitzen Mikkeli. Pleasure helps maintain order but doesn't add complexity or create new order is the summary that he gives. And so everything in this book is to do with adding complexity in order to have a more satisfying life. And uh, by that, it doesn't mean complexity as in a headache and stress. It means more involvement, paying more attention, uh, more stimulation, being more active, um, Whereas, and that's enjoyment, whereas pleasure is something that reassures you. So, for example, I'm stressed, sit down in front of the TV, put on the episode of The Thing I Already Know, watch it and have a glass of wine and a big packet of crisps and it's all familiar and reminds me that the world isn't so bad and I can stuff my face and stuff my eyes and the evening passes by pleasantly. That's pleasure. And that doesn't add anything to your life. At the end of it, nothing is better than it was at the start. It may even be worse, especially if you're drinking too much and you become tired uh, or you're eating too much, uh, especially kind of like TV junk food, the kind of stuff that maybe makes you feel bloated or whatever. So, so a very passive, a passive um, pleasure-seeking... Um, sensation uh, that that we're used to. Something that we consider pleasurable is just something that we can do with very little effort. And that specifically adds nothing to your life. You're not a more interesting person at the end of it. You're not... uh, You don't have particularly rewarding memories. You haven't necessarily learnt much. I mean, obviously, there are some TV shows that can be slightly different, so you might for example, as I have been doing this week, you might be re-watching Brian Sewell's Grand Tour of Italy and <laughs> feel yourself <laughs> on, on yeah. from a few years, quite a few years ago when it was on uh, Channel 5 in the UK. Um, and you might have been moved by the, being, the, the saturation of Michelangelo, Caravaggio, Raphael all the renaissance masters being shown to you on the screen that's that's not quite the same as most tv shows especially when you're watching them live with adverts that are constantly interrupting and distracting and all that sort of thing i mean i've numbed myself just thinking about being flopped in front of the tv and having all that stuff pass you by and "Mm, dan and (laughs) yeah absolutely um so so yes so this chapter looking at enjoyment and the quality of life it starts off by suggesting that there's two different strategies as he calls them in order to um improve the quality of your life um one is you change your external circumstances or you change the um change what's happening around you and the other is you change how you think about what's happening around you and this book this chapter this yeah this book the idea is about changing how we think about things and how we approach things and how we do things and turning maybe trying to seek uh, enjoyment rather than pleasure so we've had a little look at pleasure haven't we this kind of passive experience that we can do take drugs or drink or or have sex or watch television or um this kind of thing or um 
I was about to add music into it, but I feel like music's slightly different to to that. Well, that, now, that you, a, yeah. now, now that you say that, I think all of these can be both. Really, I was I wasn't intentionally being flippant talking about the very niche Brian Saul art documentary that no one's ever heard of, uh, because that to me is slightly more than a pleasurable activity. I, I do want to. For me, I spend a lot of time thinking about, or I, I enjoy art a lot more than it just being something in the background and um, I will I intend to try and learn a whole lot more about history of art and things than I currently know and so that part of the enjoyment for me of watching that program is learning things so it's not just something that I put on to relax to um, but the, you just mentioned music. Music absolutely fits both categories. I mean, you can just put on not very complicated pop music and it makes you feel good, as in any kind of hits radio station, their constant 24-7 playlist will be, hey, have a good time. Or you can uh, listen to some music that you've either heard before but never really noticed or enjoyed, or you can listen to something that you've never heard before and be... Uh, not know what you think of it and stop and listen to it again and so on. And those are two completely different things to just hearing Robbie Williams' Angels in the background and singing along in the car and thinking, woo, yeah, great, I'm going to get some rosé and invite the girls around and we're going to watch Love Actually tonight. Those are two completely different things. Uh-huh, OK. So, so the discerning listener will notice we haven't yet given the definition of enjoyment we have really focused on pleasure but you did mention enjoyment there so enjoyment and i'm guessing that you'll have highlighted the same bit because it's starts off with enjoyment is characterized by forward movement enjoyable events occur when a person has not only met some prior expectation or satisfied a need or a desire but has also gone beyond what he or she has been programmed to do and has achieved something unexpected and possibly unimagined before. Exactly. So uh, it's, it's, it, it, it sounds like it's a learning event. It's a, it's a development event, enjoyment. So, you know, when, when I've been reading this, I was thinking about what it is that I do that's enjoyable. And I, I'd almost say that a lot of the time that there's a... <clears throat> with the things that I'd considered were pleasurable, like the Netflixing, the... The, the relaxing, there's not actually any real enjoyment in that. It's a pastime, it's a distraction, but it's actually much more of a numbing. Whereas the things that I find enjoyable, like being at the allotment or recording the podcast or uh, playing music or cooking or reading, those things are all active things. I certainly felt a couple of years ago that I'd reached peak box set saturation, having made my way through all of The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, The West Wing, Mad Men, Game of Thrones, all the rest of it. It got to the point where I actively made this decision not to have a Netflix account and not to start watching Game of Cards, whatever the... House of Cards. House of Cards. And when I made that decision not to start watching that, it sort of like triggered a blanket oh well I'm not going to start watching anything else and that was it that was basically the end of watching as I wouldn't necessarily say that's it for life there might be something else in fact actually there is one still but what's that James 
What's that one, James? What is it? What is it? I want to watch it. What is it? 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 Uh, it's one of the worst, but uh, it's Deutschland. Tell me. Deutschland 83 slash 86 slash 89. I say it's one of the, the worst just because it's very plot heavy, although the second season does kind of address that a bit. But um, I great. enjoy great. certain That's things great. about it, so I keep watching it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do want to go back to something that you summarized i'm not sure entirely uh if this you weren't listening no 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 i was listening i just it would have been at at the time in the moment it would have been perfect to bring this up and then i just sort of like waited for now (laughs) but you were talking about the uh you started by saying that the chapter introduces itself with two main strategies to adopt to improve uh, quality of life. The first is to make external conditions match goals and the second is to change our expectations. And one thing I do like about this chapter is how is the example it uses for that. So the person who's trying to change their external conditions to match their goals is the person who's security conscious and puts up a massive fence and it has barbed wire and has guard dogs and alarms and gets a gun and lives, moves, you know, reads all the crime statistics and lives in the safest neighbourhood and doesn't go out at night and all this sort of stuff. And you, you, uh-huh. you can push that to the extreme and there'll still be a certain risk of death or what's damage to a person. Uh, hmm. Ouch. Uh-uh. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the word for pain, not pain not death but uh, injury um Inju- risk or harm harm, harm. Some, is, well, is all of harm? those things Bi- yes, violence yes, maybe um there's yes, always James. there's still always going to be a risk no matter how secure but meanwhile on the other side if you just set your mind to oh the world's a dangerous place and then you just naively go up to someone robbing you and kind of make a joke about how his face looks like a pig, you're probably going to be shot. So you can't just change your expectations and think everything will be fine, nor can you just keep building those walls until you're... Until you're stuck, you're stuck inside and, and you, you die from loneliness. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That was one thing I did. I thought it was quite a good illustration because sometimes the, uh, the thing I quite like about the fact that we're doing this book as a podcast series is that yes. personally I find some passages of the book very dreary. And so <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I don't feel like we're taking a fascinating book and chaotically kind of interpreting it. I do feel like um, as I'm reading the book, I'm thinking, oh, that's really good. Oh, I wish someone had told me that. Oh, I love that example. And those are just sort of like three highlights of an otherwise very long chapter that repeats itself endlessly and repeats things from the previous chapter again and again and again. So if I am to be, I don't know, that's probably quite harsh, but dial that down a bit, mildly critical. There is a lot of repetition. And um, so I thought the examples of the two strategies are quite good. Um, James, James, just to just to stop you there, two things. One, your little head's, again, slipping back from my view and you're not paying attention to, to me, which is really rather disturbing for me. The second is, uh, Chitzen Mickley himself writes in the chapter, uh, for, the, for the enjoyment experience, none of these experiences may be particularly pleasurable at the time that they are taking place. But afterwards, we think back on them and say, that was really fun. 
And I wonder whether reading the book itself is a bit like that. Because I think I found that too, that there are, there are that, you know, that, so the first quote you gave, pleasure helps to maintain order, but by itself cannot create new order in consciousness. There's actually almost four pages before that in the chapter, but that too was the first thing that I underlined. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So did we just go, blah, 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 <laughs> blah, 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 skim read, skim read, skim read, something about King Midas, blah, blah, wealth status, power, blah, blah, oh, there we go, here's a nice little sound bite, this is something to give me pleasure. Pleasure helps to maintain order, but by itself cannot create new order in consciousness. Ooh, sexy. And then actually later on it was the whole chapter that gave us the enjoyment. Excellent. Great summary. All right, so I actually highlighted a few more bits on this page. A person can feel pleasure without any effort if the appropriate centres in his brain are electrically stimulated. It is impossible to enjoy a tennis game, a book, a conversation, unless attention is fully concentrated on the activity. And I think that's really important, that you can experience pleasure without any effort, but enjoyment comes from concentration and effort. Which, in this modern world, in this world of Netflix and social media, you know, the, the, the most amount of effort with this is really using your thumbs. It's, it's, it's kind of too easy okay well this is the buttery bit of the croissant that i really want to uh sink my teeth into with some good uh with some no just carry on uh so the idea (laughs) (laughs) the idea (laughs) the idea of socializing because also in this chapter there are some examples of big things uh maybe that wasn't big enough big things such as climbing a mountain or a, a sheer rock face, being a chess champion, master, I don't know, some other big things, being the best ballerina or dancer or someone, you know, the best of the best. But there's, there's no real, or there is specifically not a distinction between climbing a mountain and having a conversation in this chapter. So that's the other thing that I liked about the chapter, having been very critical just now. The thing that therefore is more interesting as far as I'm concerned is how you can achieve the same uh, flow experience, which is how it's referred to in the book, having a conversation with a friend as you can climbing a mountain. You can make your life more complex, you can learn as much, you can be as involved, you can pay as much attention, you can lose sight of time passing or time can be distorted, things can seem like they take much longer or fly by without you noticing. Uh, you can completely lose your impression of yourself. You're not sat there thinking, oh, am I fat? Oh, am I too tall? Oh, do people like me? Oh, am I going to get the job? Does my life amount to nothing? Am I ever going to be as successful as X? Why am I not as wonderful as all the people I compare myself to? You lose all of that and you have a detailed and involved and enjoyable conversation with someone and it can be just as rewarding as reaching the summit of a mountain, which is a quite literal, obvious, archetypal achievement. Yeah, I, I, I think it, from what you're saying, there's, there's a part of that that I really liked reading. It was the idea that, I mean, again, on my holiday, I spent many hours every single evening engaging in 
considerably enjoyable conversation with my friend. I thought you were going to say and climbing mountains then. Well, actually, we did... Well, we were at the top of a mountain, so I wouldn't say we climbed it, but we did go out and watch the sunset each evening um, at the top of the mountain. Um, but the conversations we had, the, the idea of reading that actually that is a f- can be a flow experience and actually allowing myself to realise that there's lots of things that we we do do naturally. You know, flow isn't this, oh, listen, if you are the world's greatest mountain climber, the world's greatest uh, chess master, the world's greatest dancer, or up there in the top elite of doing something. He was talking about everyone having accessibility to the flow experience, everyone having accessibility to an experience that is not only pleasurable, but is also enjoyable, that is fulfilling, that helps develop you. And the idea that conversation, similar to chess, similar to mountain climbing, similar to dancing, you know, is in there. And reading, he also talked about reading in this chapter, did he not? Yes, uh, but it's also worth saying that it's not something that just inevitably happens, as is perfectly evidenced and appropriate right now in that we're now, what, maybe half an hour into recording this and I still haven't successfully paid enough attention to Dan's face and there have been certain times when he's been speaking and I haven't been listening to every word because on the left-hand side of me I've got the book, right in front of me I've got my audio levels and on the right-hand side of me I've got my notes plus a glass of water and my chocolate and ginger tart that's screaming at me. Oh, James, James, I want to be inside you. So with all of those things around me, I have to pay attention in order to thoroughly engage in this conversation. And there have been times when I haven't done that. And if it was just inevitable that having a conversation gives you this wonderful, life-affirming flow experience that makes you feel like you've achieved exactly the same quality as if you'd made it to the top of the world's tallest mountain (laughs) is not the case you have to put in the attention you have to pay attention to what you're doing and you have to work at it yeah i i wonder whether there's something then yeah in the chapter he talks about a number of different um characteristics of the experience of enjoyment or the enjoyment of experience, sorry, or both, actually, the experience of enjoyment and the enjoyment of experience. Yes, yes, yes. Um, And he talks about, because this book has come from 20, 30 years' worth of research, hundreds of different experiments conducted with thousands of different participants. And, And in this chapter, he goes into details about what are the similarities across the world that do not depend on age, race, um, cultural background, um, social class, uh, intelligence levels, that depend on what are the similarities that all people across the world that took part in these experiments, how did they define enjoyment and pleasure? And so he then used that to do a kind of a thematic analysis, I guess, of all of the different papers and synthesise the data into... I don't know, was it about eight or nine different categories, James? Yes. Go for it. Yeah, well, I'm going to just just read the category titles. So, but but just before that, in summary, optimal experience and the psychological conditions that make it possible seem to be the same the world over. Um, Now, there is a chapter that I'll read in a a paragraph I'll read in a second, but one, a a challenging activity 
that requires skill. It, uh, enjoyment is a challenging activity that requires skill. God, there's four pages on that. Jesus, man. The <laughs> merging <laughs> of action and awareness. Having clear goals and feedback. The concentration on the task at hand and not your chocolate and ginger tart. <laughs> For uh, non-UK listeners who are English speakers, a tart is colloquially also a prostitute or just someone who is sort of like a tempt tempting sexual provocateur. The paradox of control. Sorry, was, loss... I, was I controlling there? No, 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 no. That was one <laughs> of the categories. I don't know, maybe you were. The loss of self-consciousness, which you mentioned briefly earlier, and the transformation of time, which you mentioned earlier, and all in all, it would be called an autotelic experience, which I think was a really interesting idea. Um, so what do you want me to look at in there? Of all those, James, what do we want to look at? Just before the list of things that Dan read out is we've talked about the difference between pleasure and enjoyment, which are outlined in a couple of pages, and enjoyment adding complexity to life, which often comes from learning things. And Mihaly says that often um, people get quite complacent in adulthood when they don't have to learn anymore. And uh, so... Someone who is now working as a teacher, this is more, even more of interest to me, but it's always been since I um, watched Alan Alan Bennett's The History Boys, which uh, the theme of which is the purpose of education, a conflict between a, a head teacher who very much wants to... He's a sort of snobbish character who very much wants to process all his students to become Oxbridge candidates... Whereas the English teacher played by Richard Griffiths, his motto is pass it on. He wants to pass on uh, titbits and he wants them to enjoy their education as opposed to seeing it as a tool to status and achievement and symbolic goals that we talked about at the start. And so this, I remember watching that play and thinking, yes, that's exactly how I feel about education. I'm constantly dis dispirited, disengaged, disenfranchised, disheartened. disheartened when it seems like I'm only going to school because the purpose is to pass exams which will show someone that I can get into a certain course which will give me a qualification that will give me a job that I find the idea of boring already. And this was at the age of whatever I was, 14 or something. And I always liked school I always liked education and I never really I, I never really cared about exam results um I suppose this is a bit like me saying uh I've never cared about putting on weight when I stuff my face with chocolate and ginger tarts from Maison Love in Montpellier because I have the metabolism for it the other obnoxious thing is that I never really spent much time revising for exams and didn't really care about the outcomes and then got quite good grades anyway. So what can I do about that? I'm sorry, I feel like I was trying to concentrate, but lost what... You... Firstly, you said you were disappointed with education, 
being almost for the sake of some, you know, like you were talking about, some status rather than being for the enjoyment and and the pleasure and the the self-fulfillment and the self-development aspect. And then you went on to talking about, um, I don't understand. Sorry, just just re, 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 go through that again, James. I always felt like I enjoyed education and didn't care about my exam results. And then simultaneously to that, Alan Bennett's play The History Boys came out at the National Theatre and I went to see it. And the theme of that play was the conflict between education as a means of processing students to achieve symbolic goals or to mould them for the workplace versus education as knowledge and the enjoyable pleasure of the pursuit of that knowledge so the 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 theme so i had i didn't i couldn't articulate particularly well ah yes yes okay i'm with you and you're talking about the autotelic part of the chapter the venus was aligned with uranus and (laughs) whilst i was having these jumbled thoughts in my confused teenage head Alan de ben- uh, I keep thinking of Alan de Botton and in my head I keep saying Alan de Bennett and I just said it out loud. Alan Bennett managed to uh, wonderfully and poetically distill that exact same idea into the play The History Boys, which incidentally was much better than the rather mediocre film, even though it was the same director and cast. That happened in my teenage period. I then got distracted by saying that I can irritate people sometimes by saying that I didn't care about my exam results and then got good grades, and that is parallel to me saying I eat anything and don't get fat. Those two things are true about me at the moment, and they tend to irritate people, and I flagged that up just so that I didn't drop in casually. I didn't care about my exam results, and I got good grades. Hmm, get me! And leave that unacknowledged. I recognise the fact that lots of people spend a lot of time desperately trying to get good grades and don't necessarily quite hit the targets that they were hoping for, or they do hit the targets, but it took a lot more work than I ever put in. However, I thoroughly enjoyed education and I'm still learning, as in I'm intending to continue learning French until I'm fluent and will probably have to start learning Spanish given that I'm about to live in Spain. Absolutely. I'm so proud of you for that. Now, even though you did get a chance to try that three times, James, I still am not 100% sure of what you were talking about. However, I'm not going to ask you to repeat it because I'm not. But what I... (laughs) What I am going to do is I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to reel us in back to the chapter at hand, enjoyment and the quality of life, and pop to the autotelic experience, which is what I think that you're talking about here. There is a specific bit in the chapter about learning, so let's hope that what you're about to say and why I just said all that in, in relation to this chapter are not absolutely wildly different. Carry on. <laughs> Autotelic comes from two Greek words, auto meaning self and telos meaning goal. It refers to self-contained activity, one that is done not with the expectation of some future benefit, but simply because the doing itself is the reward. And it goes on and it says teaching children in order to turn them into good citizens is not autotelic, whereas teaching them because one enjoys interacting with children is what transpires in the two situations is ostensibly identical. What differs is that when the experience is autotelic, 
the person is paying attention to the activity for its own sake. When it is not, the attention is focused on its consequences. And that is exactly what you were talking about with the history boys was it not yes and people find school boring because they're told that you just need to get good grades to get a job so basically you go through school being bored and being stressed because you have to get good grades otherwise you won't get into the university and everyone needs to go to university because the world is competitive and so you ha- you have to get into university otherwise game over so you get into university um and you haven't enjoyed anything about school it was just stressful or boring and you get into university and then maybe you don't necessarily enjoy university because it's all really competitive and then eventually you get the job that's high paid and you have to work ridiculous hours around the clock and you completely lose the social life that you never really paid attention to at university anyway because mm-hmm. you were stressed And Uh then uh, you're in this situation where you've spent maybe 20 years building up to this thing that is so dissatisfying and your life is just ticking over with the pleasure of Netflixing as opposed to the complex enjoyment, which is where we started this. Yes, and also, yes, 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 James, yes, yes, we are talking to the listeners. But can I just say the absolutely crucial thing is that what that does is tell that person is that what that school and that whole education did was instill the idea that learning is boring and so one of the vital things that can add enjoyment and complexity to life which is learning suddenly is just written off as that boring stressful thing from my past that just got me into this position of doing a tedious well, I mean, I'm catastrophizing, but, you know, it, it gives, the, gives children the impression that learning is boring. Yes, of course, but that isn't all school experiences, thankfully, and that isn't <laughs> all school experiences, even for, for any person, their complete school experience would not be that. So some people loved sports, some people loved learning sports, some people loved science. Usually, and hopefully, most people... Um, are able to engage in some aspect of learning which then they would hope to uh, would would inspire them to continue to want to learn at least in that area but you are right in at the extreme end and I don't think I had an incredibly inspiring um high school experience but I did have quite an inspiring junior school experience and I had a very inspiring third attempt at a university degree and I had a very inspiring um, master's degree so so like i think a lot a lot of people can be totally turned off because of school in, t- in terms of learning but not necessarily totally turned off from learning everything surely without learning we just well, yeah i guess i don't know what happens to those that completely get turned off from learning do they turn to crime <laughs> <laughs> well i think the book actually has a little section on this does it not james Uh, Yes, there is a section on criminality, which is on page 69. Let's have a look at that. Page 69. Uh, Criminals often say things such as, if you showed me something I can do that's as much fun as breaking into a house at night and lifting the jewellery... Lifting the jewellery without waking anyone up. I would do it. I would do it. Yeah, isn't it good? We actually did highlight the same bits, James, eh? Hey, hey. Um, so there was a couple of interesting bits before that. Um, I did think it was kind of funny that he said, criminals 
often say things such as, you know, I was just, uh, Chicks and Mickley would just sit and chat to his mate, the criminal, and he said, oh, Mickley, you know what? If you showed me something I can do that's as much fun as breaking into a house at night and lifting the jewellery without waking anyone up, I would do it. (laughs) That's slightly giving the game away of who broke into that house last night. (laughs) (laughs) As Mickley, Chicks and Mickley thinks, oh, that's where my wife's jewellery is. I see, I see. I was, he's like, I did get a good night's sleep last night, so yes, well done. Um, but he also talks about um, war, people coming back from war. He says, uh, veterans of, from uh, war sometimes speak with nostalgia about frontline action, describing that as a flow experience. Um, and he talks a little bit earlier about the, the addictive power of flow, um, that we should reconcile ourselves to the fact that nothing in the world is entirely positive. Every power can be misused. But yeah, I think there's a, there's a vital disclaimer, and this is a direct quote. He says, the flow experience is not good in an absolute sense. He does, and I probably would have got onto that with also highlighting that. <laughs> I mean, to develop the skills necessary to benefit from... Um, Uh, from the opportunities that we encounter. We must expect that violence and crime will attract those who cannot find their way to more complex autotelic experience. And uh, that little section like, made me think back to other podcast episodes we've done, early years experience, parental input, attachment theory. So there there will be people, and there there may even be people listening now who, who, um, who struggle to enjoy the experience of life to enjoy learning to enjoy to enjoy enjoyment to 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 get enjoyment out of experience and this could be due to never being taught that not necessarily at school but even before that from uh, from from the parents and um and i think that although the book does point out these little sections i think there's probably more people who um, might have engaged in our podcast previously um that might have understood some of the some of the the uh, what's the word uh, obstacles to experiencing flow and i'm hoping at some point in the book he does start looking at those because obviously um depression anxiety panic attacks obsessions ruminations um personality disorders these kind of things will very much get in the way of someone being able to experience peak experience uh, flow experience enjoyment and pleasure particularly core beliefs because if you're not paying enough attention or you're not making enough effort to pay attention to something, the easiest thing is to let your inner voice start to tell you that you're too fat, too stupid, too lazy, your life amounts to nothing, you're not successful, you're not the person you imagined you would be, everyone else is doing better than you. Any kind of like idle downtime, um, because one he constantly refers to waiting in the dentist's waiting room and being able to turn that into a flow experience. That comes up in most of the chapters. Uh, I think he was really pleased with that because it comes up way more than it needs to. Um, although actually, <laughs> <laughs> although it is a nice either that he's got really bad teeth and he's had to somehow find some pleasure in his daily or weekly. 
um, trip to the dentist to have another filling done or you know have some root canal repaired. <laughs> you know what's just occurred to me is that I keep reading these chapters maybe two or three times because of uh, recording this podcast. It may be that he actually only says things once and I just read them a few times and by the third time I think, how many times is he going to say the same thing? <laughs> yeah, I... I've got to be honest, I, I think he only mentioned the dentist once, to be honest. But also what, what he does do in the book um, in terms of repetition, and also we do have to remember that repetition is a incredibly useful tool for learning. And although, is it by rote? Is that is that what you call it? Learning by rote? Where, you know, like the times tables. Yeah. One times three is three, two times three is six, three times three. Oh, I never got that far, but... Um, <laughs> The repetition is very helpful. It's the reason why we would have an annual fire safety talk and an annual fire safety drill. And in healthcare, we have to annually do the um, uh, basic or advanced life support, you know, the, um, the you know first aid, because we have to remember those things and you only remember it by repetition because after, say, 10 to 12 months, those things leave. And I think he uses repetition continuously throughout the book in order to hammer home some really important points. Um, and one is that you can enjoy the dentist's waiting room. But if you're in the dentist's waiting room, he's saying that you can turn that into a flow activity. And some of these things, like this, I think this is in another chapter, but there's a, there is something where I kind of get the point, but there is no way that I would ever want to do this, where people have managed to take what seems like a thoroughly boring, quite trying situation, and they managed to, well, for the sake of argument, count the blue things in the room and turn it into a very involved, mindful, in-the-moment experience that adds complexity to life. And I think I'd rather just not be in that room and not counting the blue things because it sounds... <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Utterly boring. Utterly boring <laughs> and a thoroughly unpleasant thing. But assuming you can wait in the, de the dentist's waiting room without sitting there thinking so let's however long you've got let's say you're in there for 20 minutes and you don't flick through the magazine because that's just mindless pleasure or you're just not interested in it so you don't pick it up anyway and therefore your inner voice has 20 minutes to wander off and it's usually negative so usually if you've got 20 minutes to sit and wait what you hear in your head is usually some kind of catastrophizing of ways in which the week ahead could be a disaster, the year ahead could be a disaster. Uh, you thought that by this point in your life, everything would have fallen into place, and it hasn't. You haven't made it, and you're sitting here with all of this headspace in the dentist's waiting room, ruminating on some some pathetic aspect of your character which you have blown out of all proportion. What's your point, though, James? And then, what, what, and then, what are you saying? And then in order to numb that, you get out your phone and that uh, presents you with all the highlighted versions of everyone else's life, giving the impression that it's nothing but a relentless stream of high achievement, glossy success and total actualization that you do not have in your dreary failure of a life that is currently <laughs> your overweight body hanging off the, the dentist's waiting room chair, your sweat dripping onto the floor. <laughs> James, I actually have a theory that I, I developed recently, which is 
if you spend 10 minutes on social media in that kind of passive taking it on board and allowing it to kind of um, uh, chip away at who you are, if you spend 10 minutes on Instagram, I think that it takes 10 minutes off your life. Not just the 10 minutes you've wasted. I genuinely think... Another 10 minutes. These, another 10 minutes. I think, I feel like... So I, I was, I've been flicking through it a little bit more because I, I don't really use Facebook very much. I was flicking through Instagram because it's there and I do like some of the really pretty photos that are, you know, there. And, and also I follow a lot of things about plants and you can learn stuff there. But God, the amount of body image and 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 what self-esteem things that come up and, and like in terms of like... You you, um, you might have a trail of things that are about new products, you know, these little photos that tell you, like, the most incredible product that's ever been... It's just this constant stream of, like, being sold to and being told there's something else you need. And then in between that are these, like, perfect lifestyles or these, like, representations of perfect lifestyles. And and it's just... It's just... It's just fucking misery-making. Um, what... 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 What is that like? Why? Why are we doing that? What? 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 It's awful. <laughs> it's fucking awful, and it is not a flow experience. What I was getting to was the quote in the book about life passing in a sequence of boring and anxious experiences. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like social media is a sequence of anxious and boring posts. Um, that's that's pretty much all anxiety provoking. I don't necessarily think that that means just delete social media and that's that problem solved. I think, I mean, that problem would be, if not solved, removed if you deleted all the accounts. But for me specifically, I've um, now let's establish some gravitas here. Let's let's think about Holocaust survivors. Let's think about uh, previous generations at risk of being ripped apart by wild animals or um, mm-hmm. having no shelter, wild temperature conditions affecting their lives. Um, let's think of all the suffering that has previous generations where you could be stoned to death for being a witch or all these sorts of people who've lived through terrible times and today in the modern world still live through terrible times. With all that in mind as a leveller, let's now consider my own grappling with Instagram. <laughs> but James, all, all of those things are relative. You, you can't... <laughs> if you've not experienced the, you know, the, the horror of being locked up or the horror of being abused or uh, tortured, then, I mean, and I wasn't also comparing any of those things that you just mentioned to the drip drip effect of social media that's not what we were comparing it to i'm just saying simply that it seems to have a on me at least 10 minutes of instagram i actually get a feeling that i don't have a feeling of happiness or pleasure from any of that there's a couple of photos in it that i go oh that's nice but even those photos that i think oh that's nice there's something that says I didn't take that photo. Yeah, no, I understand that. But the, what I'm saying is that it's like with everything, there's no such thing as you can you can have a flow experience on Instagram. I'm that's what I'm going to propose. What? Okay, you explain that to me. Well, I, I haven't prepared how to concisely explain how one might go about having a flow experience on Instagram. But what I'm saying is that I used to I, I've had 
more than enough times where I felt like those 10 minutes plus the other 10 minutes have been taken off my life and I'm scrolling through a very repetitive, thematically repetitive series of images. Uh, Even if you make the effort to try and find uh, new things to look at that might be new to you for whatever reason it's still to some you, you it, it it takes an awful lot of work to make that happen and it's not the amount of work that goes into trying to find uh new things surprising things on instagram is not the payoff is not worth it so ultimately you, basically the 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 model of it is that you follow the same people and they tend to post the same things so you tend to see the same things over and over again and then people copy each other and so the thematically and I certainly have way more rigid themes necessarily than most people it tends to just be architecture and trees occasionally with bins in front of them and uh, with an emphasis on sunlight and so Therefore, the things that I look at and represent have a certain amount of repetition to them. And if you did nothing in your life but looked at photos that I take, you'd you'd reach an a, a, you'd reach saturation, nausea. Your eyes would glaze over. You'd feel like more than ten minutes had been taken off your life. Um, but what I so so what so why not just why not stop taking these photos? because all I'm churning out is something repetitive and why not delete the app because when I'm not churning out, when I'm just consuming, I'm just being subjected to this relentless, boring and anxious um, input. Uh, And the reason is just because I find it quite... um, I don't know what the word is, but it's a catalogue. For me, it's an ordered cataloguing of just to simplify it, trees and architecture that I walk past. Instead of just walking past trees and architecture thinking, oh, that's nice, and carrying on, I stop, I take the photo, and later on I look through maybe 20 photos and pick three of them that go into essentially the catalogue of the trees and architecture that I noticed today, and I feel a sense of satisfaction of cataloguing my life in that way. And um, it's the, some, I always do this. Like I'm, I'm currently in the process of making my chart of 50 songs of the past decade, my 50 favourite songs, specifically my 50 favourite songs, not what I'm claiming are the 50 best songs made in the past decade, my 50 favourite songs of the past decade. And I spend hours and hours. I have a playlist that is constantly changing. I'm constantly nudging songs up, nudging them down, listening to songs in relation to each other, making a playlist of some of the songs that I haven't listened to in a while to make sure that they're not... I, I devote hours into this thing that is ultimately... Well, I don't think it's meaningless, but could easily be dismissed as meaningless. Um, You know, what's Mm -hmm. the the point in creating a hierarchy of music? Why don't you just enjoy it in the moment? Why don't you appreciate that all music is as good as each other? You know, what's the point in saying this is better than that? It's not. Well, as in, it's it's easy to say that it's a stupid exercise to create say these are my 50 favorite songs of the last decade right now there are all sorts of problems that people encounter when they make these kind of critical lists but to me it's a catalog and the process of doing it is thoroughly enjoyable and i get that same thing from cataloging trees and buildings 
so I don't feel like so to me Instagram is not just 10 minutes of my life taken off every day it's an enjoyable cataloging process that I wouldn't choose to get rid of I can I can give you that you, yeah okay and it's maybe took seven it took seven minutes but I'm <laughs> gonna give you that. but with all this like you got a point ro- robbing someone's house and taking their jewelry can uh, is an example given of a rewarding uh complex uh <laughs> character developing flow experience um vacuous pointless social media can be t- there's the dentist waiting room the Instagram feed, any of these things can be turned into a flow experience. Some of them, for most people, would not be worth pursuing, would not be worth turning into a flow experience at all. Uh, I just particularly like architecture, trees and photography. I've always catalogued things. I've always taken photos. Instagram just happened to come along. Um, For other people, they've never done that before. Instagram comes along and everyone else is doing it and then they start taking more photos and they start making sure that their smashed avocado brunch looks good for the photo and they would never have done that 10 years ago. Whereas 20 years ago, I was taking pictures of trees dramatically lit in front of buildings. They were probably worse photos than they are now because I've been doing it relentlessly for decades. Um... But it's the th- I was already doing that. There were the, the the frustration for me was in the consumption, to constantly just be scrolling through pictures, and to some extent the other way around. There was a certain uh, feeling of, oh, I'm in a new city. I've got to take all the best James Hall photos and put them on there. Whereas now, half the time, I see th- I, sometimes I see absolutely stunning, dramatic sunsets and things, and I just look at them, and, then, and there's, n- there's no documented evidence of it. And then a couple of days later, I'll be walking past some bins, and I'll take a photo, and I'll post it. <laughs> yes. But to me, the, the process is... The enjoyable thing about that is the cata- cataloguing. I think I've said cataloguing more times than Mihaly has talked about the dentist's waiting room, so... Um, what what do you, I'm guilty of that which I criticise in others. And who isn't James? <laughs> Just to give you my my readily repeated argument back to you, aren't we just all like that? Yes. Um, so so today, almost to to summarise today, we've looked at the flow experience in relation to pleasure and enjoyment. We've looked a little bit at the different categories that uh, 30 years of research have seemed to suggest are consistent areas or consistent descriptors for which enjoyment and pleasure can be understood and and how it's experienced. We haven't gone into that in a lot of detail. We'd suggest you read chapter three for yourselves. Um, uh, we've looked at how the flow experience potentially, the enjoyment and the pleasure part could become dangerous or addictive and how actually experiences that could be quite frightening or difficult to some people, such as being a troop in the war or being a criminal and stealing from a house, 
could be to someone a flow experience we've even looked at how social media which was i was very critical of to begin with could even be a flow experience for some people if used in a certain way with a goal and an aim and a focus with uh, um, a a concentration and a concerted effort um, we've looked at some of the more obvious flow experiences like playing a game of chess or climbing a mountain or being a uh, or dancing or music um, you basically just summarized the um, relevance of turning social media into a flow experience perfectly just off the cuff in maybe three seconds how long did i take seven minutes to go on about how i take pictures of bins well seven minutes until i said seven minutes and then you took another two to get to the bins (laughs) (laughs) but james without your you know without your data i might not have been able to summarize that you'd have carried the impression that social media is just a terrible parasitic <laughs> exactly. drain on taking 10 minutes off your life every day yeah yeah so i i guess yeah i guess sort of the main argument here from this episode other than the content of the chapter is that flow experience and enjoyment and and um peak experience is another way that he describes it um is 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 not necessarily unique, but it is individualized. It is about how and what we choose to experience and the way which we go into that experience, how we set up our mind, what are the goals, what are the aims, what is it that we want to get out of it? And focusing on that, um, as in what is it that we want to um, experience uh, rather than a lofty goal and something that might actually chip away at our self-esteem about how we do something or why we do it it's about being immersed in the activity itself um although i don't think that is completely um mutually exclusive to finding a benefit so for example for me it would be the allotment i love being at the allotment um i love um planting preparing a bed or or clearing an area or working on the compost but i'm also very aware at times that i'm hoping to get a beautiful crate of tomatoes at the end of it or i'm hoping that my plants do grow so there is something about the outcome so you know you taking the photo if there wasn't a product at the end of it that was beautiful and perfect in your eyes or 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 good enough so there is something about the outcome but um the autotelic experience is about a flow experience simply for the sake of the experience itself and i think something like dancing or listening to music might seem more accessible when we talk about that the i wasn't intending to talk about uh social media at all what i was intending and haven't done at all really mm-hmm. to um mm-hmm. i dropped this at the beginning and then it just did that dropped uh to talk about conversations as um, social interaction being a flow experience and putting all we kind of said was you have to put the effort in a conversation can be a flow experience but you have to put the effort in but specifically I've spent a year now away from um, friendships basically with some exceptions and um, so in the past year, I haven't really the, the, the main th- the, the main price I've paid for having lots of free time, lots of wonderful experiences, lots of really useful um, things that have had a massively positive impact on my life is having to pay, is basically paying for it without 
socialising. So I've barely been able to spend time with friends. I've barely seen... I the, 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 the lack of being able to sit down with someone and have a conversation, the lack of being able to go to dinner with people, the lack of all that kind of thing. Even really nice times when I did have the chance to sit and talk to people most of that was in French so it was enjoyable but it was mainly me um, testing myself to be able to join to concentrate and try and work out what people are saying and try and think of something to contribute that was more interesting than just je suis salé au boulangerie and no à la boulangerie aujourd'hui and so there was very little of the ability to have an enjoyable conversation with anyone for an entire year that's been quite a substantial cost that I've made from this sort of like make it up as you go along living in another country life and so one thing that I do need to try and concentrate on given that I've committed to another year of this is to try and make connections with people in Burgos because I'm going to be there for a substantial amount of time and to try and have some kind of social life again that I really didn't have at all in Paris because I and I've really missed it but I I feel like there's a very high risk of sort of like I'm uh, the reason I'm stuttering and umming and ahhing and censoring myself is because I don't want to say something completely obnoxious so I mean, off the top of my head the 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 thing that I want to say is that too many people don't put in, and this is me being critical. So I'm just, I'm just going to say this. I don't care how awful it sounds, and I don't care how wrong it is. I just need to get it out, and then Dan, you can listen to it and interpret it and say it much better. But too many people just couldn't care less about, don't value that sort of social interaction anymore. Too many people, when they're in the company of a good friend, spend as much time looking at their phone as looking at the other person's face. When they have the chance to have a dinner party, have as many excuses to not go from picking up various things culturally, I get the impression there is a strong social trend that is eroding the art of conversation from social lives and replacing it with the passive pleasure, as opposed to enjoyment, pleasure of flicking a phone screen. Dan, what do you yeah, think? Just, and is there anything I, I just said that was kind of like... No, I, I, can, I really, really agree with you. I... I find it actually incredibly troubling, and I don't know whether this is a sign of my age, um, uh, but I think probably this generation that's being brought up just below us is is the you know this is a turning point in history, isn't it? Because that's that's never been possible before to be able to be so connected to the rest of the world in in one way, in a digital way, you know, um, to be able to. Um, be completely connected to the rest of the world at the same time as be sitting with your friends and actually you're not really connecting with the people in the room because you have access to everything else and and I think it's I think it's a shame I think it's sad I think it's troubling but then there's also the other side to it 
and I think perhaps someone my age who's got the access to the technology, still, when I'm talking to a friend, when I was talking to my friend on holiday, there was numerous things that I go, hang on, let me Google that, let me check, or, oh, yes, that's the name of that person, let me go, oh, my God, they were this old, or blah. So there's a, there's a way of using that technology as part of the conversation, and then there's a way of actually completely detaching yourself and why that's happening, I don't know. And I think it's, you know, I think there's lots of research going into it about it being a kind of a, you know, with social media, there's a, uh, like an addiction, there's a kind of a release of um, dopamine each time you you repeat the action that gives you some kind of passive pleasure. Um, and that actually that there's a strong addiction to that and people aren't using the conversations and the social interaction that they they once did and i do think there's a generation that would struggle if the internet was destroyed there's also another side of the uh 50 centime coin relevant to me do you want to hear that as well <laughs> of course of course i do of course i do <laughs> um so when i think back i know that i was always very bad at conversations in the sense that I've always dismissed small talk, hated it, didn't know how to get into a conversation, hoped that the other person would just make it happen. There have been plenty of times when I've sat in silence with someone thinking, just go on, come on, make the conversation happen and then I'll participate. Don't sit there waiting for me to start it because I don't know how to do it. So I, I was aware that I wasn't very good at starting conversations. Uh, some of that comes from isolation in childhood and some of it just comes from a family where everyone would just shout over each other, no one would listen to each other and people would just compete to get their word in and you just had to sit there and wait for the smallest gap that you could just shove your way into the conversation and shout the thing you wanted to say at everyone until you finished and then someone else takes over. Uh -huh. So there's an element of that, you know, that is what conversation is. That's how it was presented to me in many ways. Uh, and then there's an element to which I just didn't know from, from the sort of like semi-autistic side of me just didn't value small talk didn't know how to engage others didn't value didn't recognize that there was anything in looking at someone's face or you know to read their expression or that there was any value in what someone feels right now who cares we all have the same feelings all the time they're not interesting how are you i'm fine yeah well i could have predicted that boring have you got anything else boring to say or are we going to get to something interesting soon and if so how do we do that i don't know i hope you're going to do it oh you're not well this has been boring and underwhelming i don't like socializing i'm going to go back to my bedroom and watch tv that was my life as a teenager um and so mainly from doing this podcast, listening back to myself, listening to you talking, and as a listener thinking, oh, that's interesting, and here's what I've got to say about it myself, and then hearing myself in the moment of the recording, completely ignoring the interesting thing you said, and steamrolling ahead with the thing that I was preparing to say next, which to, to then, to this is quite confusing because I'm playing two roles in this story, but so uh, let's, I'll, let, me do, let me make this simpler podcast me is the voice coming out of the speaker real me is myself in the uh, in the present listening the listener, the, uh, the listener yes. yes so yes i'm listening to dan saying something really interesting and re the listener me wants to respond to that interesting thing and obviously i don't i'm not participating in the conversation because it's already been recorded 
but podcast me <laughs> doesn't respond at all in the way that real listener me is, is responding right now. Podcast me ignores the interesting thing that Dan said and just plows on with something that was written in my notes. And real me finds that doubly frustrating once in the normal sense the way anyone listening would think oh well you know you're not really you're talking over each other you're not listening to each other this is not a satisfying conversation you're not and then the other layer of it is that pod, the real me is listening to podcast me and we're the same person and therefore I'm irritated with myself but at the same time I'm thinking well this is a useful activity in that it has highlighted something I probably would never have realized and would have spent my whole life talking over other people. And so just in the year when I'm becoming more and more aware of the value of conversation and the the art of conversation and how to concentrate on the other person and how to be present in the moment and not be anxious about the future or the past, not having your mind wandering around, not being so consumed with the inner voice that you don't listen to the person who's right in front of you, that co- corresponds with spending a year where I can't actually see my friends and actually have those wonderful... <laughs> like, I'm sure everyone back in London is thinking, gosh, the day will come when His Royal Highness... <laughs> Do you want to continue this? Do you want to make this hypothetical situation? Because I'd rather hear it coming from you. Well, uh, no, no, because I I think what you said had a lot of... um, And doesn't need to be ridiculed with a a silly little Lord, you know, a stupid, jokey anecdote. Frivolous, flippant voice. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there'll be people sitting in London going... Oh, <laughs> oh, James, blah, blah. when you come back, I can't wait to listen to your wonderful conversation. You're so interesting. And I'm so glad that you're finally listening to me all of these years. That, that's what you're talking that, about. That isn't is it? what I wanted from you, yes. Well, when, when, you know, when you're in the room and we're talking and it's not being recorded, although, of course, both of us, I'm sure, at times would be eager to make our point or or to comment on something the other one's saying but but to the point where we don't finish listening to what they have to say you know everyone is guilty of that and maybe you're a much worse than the average person at that but i still think that when you are in the room we have many conversations where both of us listen and speak relatively equally in a balanced manner perhaps the 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 form of a podcast is unnatural and you've got other uh, thoughts and ideas that uh, about how it should be and the structure that means that listening back to yourself you're not really listening to your true self you are listening to your podcast self which is different and of course you would hope that someone with a master's degree in radio was much (laughs) better at that well that and don't forget the chocolate and ginger patisserie from Maison Loaf, which is in my right peripheral vision. But also, but all the things that you just said from... What's, uh, Dan's looking at me confused. Whoa, the, 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 the fuck has the, the, the patisserie got to do with it? I don't understand. Well, it's just one of the things that I told you, that in, in front of me right now, your face is quite a small thing in my vision. On my left, I've got the book. In front of me, I've got your face, but also my audio levels. On the right-hand side, I've got my notes. And then there's also the temptation of the chin- ginger and chocolate tart that is sat on the desk shouting at me, uh-huh. James, James, I, I'm your... 
temptress. I want to be inside you. I'm delicious. You yes. want me. Have me. Devour me now. Devour me yes. now. Devour me now. Devour yes. me now. Devour me now. Um, but uh, from all those things that you just said, part of those times that we have spent together have probably been enhanced from the making of this podcast and from you pointing out ways in which I don't listen. No one pointed this out. No one told me how to have a conversation. No one explained to me the importance of looking at someone's face or of... No one even said to me that a conversation is about listening to the other person. I genuinely just assumed that you that a conversation is a performance and you have to give the other person something funny or interesting. And if you don't do that, you fail. Hmm. I, I mean, that's quite, it's quite childlike, that, isn't it? It's not necessarily relevant to the listener. The listener might be very empathetic and might have developed very good social skills and been very good at listening and very good at conversation from a very young age, wildly more so than me. It's just something specific to me. It could be relevant to someone else, but um, it's just an example that I'm bringing. Yeah, and I think perhaps you are right to set yourself the challenge of you know the autotelic experience of having a conversation and connecting with someone and i'm clearly very hungry for it more so than i am for patisserie viennoiserie and boulangerie from maison loaf in montpellier which is currently satisfying my hunger on a daily basis and yet depriving me well not actively depriving me but reminding me of how starved i am of meaningful in real life flow experience conversations with the people i whose company i thoroughly enjoy excellent what's going to happen then is we're going to hear over the course of the next three months as we complete this season, season five of Private Practice Podcast, we're going to hear about all of your autotelic conversational experiences <laughs> and we can relate them back to flow and we can see how you're doing with your new social life in your uh, third country that you'll be living in in the last two years. Um, and we are going to learn together. So uh, we've summarised the chapter, we've uh, rounded up the podcast. It's just to say that next week on uh, Private Practice Podcast Season 5, we will be on Chapter 4, The Conditions of Flow. You may well want to read along with us, starting on page 71, and we're going to have a little look at that. Um, so from me in the London Private Practice Podcast Studios, uh, Daniel P. Brown, it's a goodbye. And for me in the Paradise studios in Montpellier I'm just going to leave you with a quote that I underlined and intend to use in the episode in context and with some relevance but didn't because that would have been a distraction to faff about flicking in the book so completely out of context competition is enjoyable only when it is a means to perfect one's skills when it becomes an end in itself it ceases to be fun you can put that on a t-shirt and instagram it
Oh, so I feel like now I should just <laughs> pluck some rant. Sorry. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, here we go. Here's one that maybe rounds up the chapter then. James, the flow experience, like everything else, is not good in an absolute sense. It is good only in that it has the potential to make life more rich, more intense and meaningful. It is good because it increases the strength and the complexity of the self. Yours was unnecessarily long. Um, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> no, you hang up. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. It's time for my chocolate. Did I mention my chocolate and ginger? D- just, just try this. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye to the listener. <laughs> it's the wonderful-